Welcome to Yorkshire Academy's podcast, Yorkshire Insight. Today's topic is Tech Time with BEMA, episode number four. I'm Lori Darnell with Michelle Young, our tech advisor. BEMA Information Technology is Yorkshire's IT company, and we've asked Trent Carroll to share some general tech tips with us today. So Trent, what's your role at BEMA? My role at BEMA is I serve as one of our directors. So with that, I help set a lot of our technical direction. We have about 140 clients. And so we're keeping up with technologies and figuring out where everyone needs to be moving. And there is some uniqueness to each of the clients, but there are some general trends and technology that we see moving forward. I also help provide guidance on projects as we implement some of those changes. And then I also help with internal training. We've got about 40 engineers on staff. And so whenever there is a change, it takes a little bit to steer that ship internally sure. as well, too, to make sure people are ready to go with it. Is Yorkshire your favorite client? No, I'm just They kidding. are absolutely <laughs> our favorite client. All right. Well, so let's just get to the question. So what is the best, I'm sorry, what is the best thing families can do to protect their privacy? I think the biggest thing is starting out with education. Part of that's going to be as parents educating yourself, because uh, there are definitely some practices that, that you'll need to do. But additionally, start working with your children early uh, in technology. So um, education is the biggest one, particularly in looking at how do you protect your data and your personal information. Um, so we're going to be discussing a lot of that today um, as far as what you can do to get some quick tips on that. The other thing I'd say is being very selective in what you utilize and what you sign up for. So years back, I used to go and, and shop the internet for the cheapest price I could find anywhere. You know, 20 years ago, I'm looking for a digital camera and I find it for $600 here. I find it for $550 here. I find it for $547 here. And mm -hmm. I'd spend hours researching, save $3, and I'm buying from 50 different sites. Um, well, in, in the age that we're living in now, those things are just ready to get breached and your credit card info to get stolen and you're waiting two weeks to get a new debit card and you can't figure out how to buy groceries. Uh, so one of the things I did that, that kind of applies to a lot of this is I've really peeled back. Um, I don't necessarily look for the greatest deal anymore. I pretty much almost shop exclusively with Amazon now. They've got a lot. The prices are good and good enough that, yes, I could probably find it for 3 or $5 cheaper somewhere else. But giving someone else my information is not something I'm willing to do for a couple of bucks. So be very selective with what you use. And, and that goes beyond shopping. You know, when you start talking personal data, that also delves into things you do like social media, whether that's Facebook or Instagram. If there's any sites and forums that you sign up with as well, too, is just being really selective with that. Because anywhere you put your data out, you just need to basically assume anything that I put out there I may put all sorts of privacy settings in place that say only my friends and family can see this, but at some point it's going to end up out there. Everyone's going to get hold of it. The more personal information you put out there, uh, it's, it's going to be grabbed by nefarious people as well too, whether they're going to start using that information to open fake accounts under your name, or there's definitely cases where you know criminals have apps where they can go through and look at social media profiles and determine, hey, you know, based upon Facebook and Instagram and everything else, this person's on vacation in the Bahamas now, which means they're not home, which means their home is a great target for burglary. So there's a lot of stuff that goes on that you just don't even think about in the background. So be very selective with where you put stuff. Uh, other things that we've seen that that may sound fun, you know, one a couple of months back. 
I was looking through and on on my Twitter feed, um, I, I pretty much don't post a whole lot, but I read a lot. Um, I, I was looking through one of the latest apps that got released was one called FaceApp. And they were talking about if you read the terms of service for this, you know, A, this is a Russian company. Russian has a lot of hackers and a lot of uh, organized crime, particularly on the technology side. So A, this was a Russian company that was out there. And uh, B, you read the terms of service and they basically are getting rights to your image and use forever. So, oh my. So A, they may be using your photos to open up fake accounts, what they call puppet accounts, to drive things like, you know, hey, we need to get good user ratings on this on Amazon. Well, we're going to create a bunch of fake user accounts. They've got profiles and background info and pictures, and it looks like a real person. Uh, but additionally, as we're starting to see a shift towards things like biometrics for securing your account if you've mm -hmm. got one of the newer you know phones or devices it uses your face to log in now granted there's a lot that it does 3d wise to process that and not just a flat 2d image but you combine that with a lot of your other photos and they can you know potentially start building out that biometric data that's going to unlock some of your accounts moving forward as well too so so well, I'm you know, not scared at all. Yeah. So as I'm sitting here reading this, the fun part was I was in the middle of reading this article, and then my wife leans over with her phone real quick and says, "Hey, let me take a photo real quick. Click." And then like three seconds later, you know, here's a picture of me aged 50 years older. And you know, I, I literally asked her, I was like, "Is that Face app that you just used?" And she's like, "Yeah." I was like, "Well, here, let me show you this no. article that I'm re reading right now." So be selective. There's a lot of fun stuff that's out there. Uh, but be thoughtful, be mindful. Do you really need that? Where is that information going? Um, you know, there's lots of terms of services out there and, and terms of service are not your friends. They're the friends of the companies that are out there developing this stuff. So, you know, my, my view, there's a lot of stuff out there that's a lot of fun stuff that I just don't do uh, just because I, I don't find that there's enough value out of it for sure. the risk that's associated. All right, well, this is good stuff for us to know. So as far as our devices go, what can we do to protect those? So the, the most important thing you can do to protect your, vice, your devices that most people do not do, uh, particularly when it comes to Windows or Mac laptops, is to make sure that you have antivirus software on all your devices. Uh, frequently, you know, as we run across it, we see people don't have it on there, or maybe they purchased their laptop and it had a 30-day trial of something that they used and then never paid for the service. And then you've got AV that may have been good three years ago, but it's definitely not protecting you from current threats. So installing AV, making sure that you're paying for those subscriptions. The other aspect is making sure that your devices get updated regularly. So whether that's Windows or Mac or uh, an iPhone or Android device, there are updates that come out for those. You should work to get those applied relatively quickly. You may not, in some cases, want to do that day one, uh, because there are some cases where maybe there's a bad patch and you know Apple or Microsoft mm -hmm. realizes that there's an issue within 24 hours and they kind of pull it back for a day or two. So my general process is wait till about day two or three. Um, I did have with the latest iPhone update, uh, I guess last month I'd seen that it was up and ready to update. It was supposed to install overnight, but even after about a week it still had not installed itself even though it was overnight i had my phone plugged in i'd followed all the rules and in that case i, I you know dug through and followed the buttons to go in and manually update the software so um, <clears throat> so that's critical because um, what happens as well is a these updates are protecting us from security vulnerabilities that are out and recognized 
Um, in a lot of cases, they may already be active and being exploited in the field, but the, the criminals that are out there with this, as soon as a patch is released, they're also going to reverse engineer that and figure out, hey, we don't know what this was, but we're gonna figure out what it was and oh, now we do. Um, and so they're gonna be attacking all those devices that, that have not um, been updated. And in some cases, all you've gotta do is, is hit a website. It may be a legitimate website like CNN, and then there's advertising on there, and then the advertising network has some inappropriate stuff in there that they may not even be aware of that is using those vulnerabilities to, to gain access to your devices. So updating your devices and antivirus is the most important thing you can do. And I will say for all you Mac users out there, there is a myth that Macs don't get viruses. That's absolutely not true. Uh, we started installing antivirus software on our clients that had Macs about four years ago. And with that initial rollout of software, we found that over 30% of the Macs had viruses on them. Really? Because I have so, definitely heard that. I absolutely. think from Michelle Young, who's with us right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, and if it was that bad four years ago, it's even worse today. Okay. So what are some of the biggest mistakes that folks make regarding technology? You probably answered some of those already, but can you sure. expand? Sure, the, the, the first one on, on my list is not maintaining those AV subscriptions. So we kind of already hit on that point. The other one that we've seen in some cases, and, and there is gonna have to be a mix uh, as, as parents when you start looking at, there's certain technology devices that you buy for yourself or your spouse, and there's certain the ones that you buy for your children. Uh, one that we've seen is, going a little bit too cheap on the hardware. Um, there's a lot of great deals. I mean, we just passed Black Friday and uh, everything else, and there's a lot of deals for two or $300 laptops out there. I will say that those two or $300 laptops are gonna perform like a two or $300 laptop. Sure. They're gonna be slow. Um, and in some cases, those may be an appropriate device for a child where you know all they need is a web browser and they're only gonna have one thing open at a time. But if you operate like I do, I have like a dozen web browser tab open, tabs open. I have Word and Excel and email going and Microsoft Teams for internal stuff. So I, I need a, a much more performant laptop. Um, so, you know, one piece of advice I'd give that that's the one I, I've actually given some of my friends this last year as well, too, is if you're going to be buying a laptop, particularly for an adult to use, like $600 is a pretty good low-end target. You're not spending two grand on something, but at $600, you start moving into a realm where you're getting enough memory, you're getting a solid-state drive in there, and those things are greatly going to increase the performance of the device you get. And you'll be a lot happier with it. It'll last for longer than it will if you're buying a two or $300 one. So uh, third thing I'd say, it similarly is running outdated hardware. So we are starting to see a tendency as well too, where this was my laptop or this was my smartphone and I bought a new one and you know this one's three or four years old, I'm gonna hand it down to my child to use. Um, in that three to four year old range, things are probably good, but we are starting to run into a lot of the software developers and operating system developers. So Apple, Microsoft, Android are only going to support devices for so long. And after that period of time, they're no longer going to be updating devices. So, you know, I myself just ran across this where, you know, I, I found out my iPhone 6, not the 6S or the SE that I got in 2015, was no longer going to be supported by Apple in September when they released the new one. So it was a great excuse to buy the new phone. Sure. But it also means that, you know, at that point, is this something I want to hand my child? Well, it's not going to be getting any sort of security or vulnerability updates anymore. So that device has effectively reached end of life. So unless you're going to turn it off and make sure it never connects to Wi-Fi or internet, 
um, it's probably not something to put in the hands of a child unless you, you know, put in some parental controls and lock that down where you control what apps are there. But even then, we find out a lot of the apps that, that we have as well. So we've, we've got my original iPad, which I believe is about seven or eight years old now. We've let my son use it. Um, and the games that he was playing and, and had been playing, even though there's been no updates that support that tablet for probably almost four years, it's getting to the point now where the games that we had loaded on there won't work anymore. They won't connect to Game Center. They won't connect up and let you run the game. And those games just don't support the older OSs anymore. So they are going to have much more of a shelf life than what we used to see with technology 10 years back where you could buy it and just let it run forever. Um, you're just running into to walls with that from software developers as well as security risks. So, so biggest mistakes, not maintaining those AV subscriptions, going a little bit too cheap on the hardware in some cases, and then the other one is just running stuff well past its shelf life. All right, so anything else you want to mm -hmm. share regarding tools for kids using technology? So a couple things to do with your children um, to help keep them safe, because in a lot of cases they aren't going to know what they're doing and where to protect themselves. Um, the, one of the things you can do is disable location services. If they're taking photos of themselves or doing things, it's, it's gonna help keep their images from being tagged with locational data. Uh, but if they're also using other apps, it's gonna help them from being located as well and knowing where they're going. You may not wanna be having them do things like, uh, you know, it still happens some today, but a few years back, a lot of the popular services use check-ins, like I'm gonna check in to I went to to school here, I went to church here, or I ate at this place. Those are things that you probably want to avoid because those can start developing patterns that if there are some nefarious people trying to stalk and find children, they can see that, hey, every Wednesday, you know, this kid, this kid goes here, so I'm gonna wait here and look, and he's at gymnastics, and I know his name is Joe, and you know, when he comes out, hey, Joe, your, you know, your mom said to come pick me up, she had to do something for work. So they've got their name, they've got their photo, they know who they're looking for. That's something to be on the lookout for. The other thing is with your children, you know, avoid social media use as long as you possibly can because um, <clears throat> it's gonna be so easy for them to get to places that they shouldn't be, for other people to find information about them. If you get to the point where it has to happen, I would say as a parent, require that you have access and passwords to every account that they set up. Let them know that any devices that they are using are yours and that using them is a privilege. Um, and if you come in one day and you can't log into stuff, then that's probably a good time to step in as a parent and say you've lost your you know, cell phone privileges for the week. You'll get it back next week. Um, there are a few things that can help, particularly with, with younger children, um, where you may just click on the wrong thing and end up somewhere you, you shouldn't be. Um, a couple of devices that, that can help with that. Disney has a product they call Disney Circle that you can install and you can set up different profiles for adults versus children so that you can get to different things um, as well as do things like setting the amount of time that they can spend going to fun sites versus educational sites, uh, shutting off internet access for them after say 8 or 9 p.m., whatever that time is for you so that they aren't staying up all hours of the night. Uh, Net Nanny is another one. So there's a lot of solutions out there that can help protect them on kind of the content filtering side of things. 
the other thing is control what apps are on their devices. Most of the solutions that are out there today, so and, and most kids these days predominantly are going to be using things like a tablet or a smartphone. So with those, whether that's a, an Apple device or an Android device or even some of the Microsoft devices, you're going to have options to put in family settings, and that's going to allow you to be able to control and say things like they're not allowed to install applications or they're not able to make in-app purchases setting time limits. So you can do a lot with those to help make sure that they're only getting to what they should be doing. We just purchased a, an Amazon tablet for our son for Christmas, uh, right as we were going on a trip and we knew he needed to be able to watch movies on mm -hmm. a three hour plane ride. Uh, and so that's the first thing we did out of the box was we got that set up. We got the parental controls in place so that he could only view the content that we wanted for him out there. So the other thing I'd say to start educating your kids on, and, and it applies to the internet the same as it does to the physical world out there, is to be on the lookout for tricky people. So we're working with our son now, he's five years old, that you know I was driving with him the other day and we pulled up behind a, a Suburban that had you know the little family stickers of the dad and the mom yes. and the two kids, and it has a, a picture of a soccer ball, you know, number 23, Alex. And I'm like, hey, Gabriel, you know that that person driving that car, they have a kid named Alex. And he's like, really? How do you know that? And I was like, well, I can look at their car and I can see that his name is Alex. And so I use that as a, as a time to educate him. I said, Gabriel, just because someone knows your name doesn't mean that they're a safe person. Um, I said, you know, we've got a, a secret word that our family uses and we, we tell him, if we ever send someone to get you, ask them, hey, what's, what's the password? I said, and you don't ever tell anybody what the password is. So, so Ed, the same things that we do in, in the real world and talking about tricky people are things that we can talk about online as well too. If they start getting friend requests um, and stuff from people that they don't know, you know, look through that list. If, if you see that they've added some new people, maybe ask them, hey, who's this person? Where did you meet this person? Look at some of their messaging conversations in there. Um, you know, our, our role as parents is to guide and protect and set them on the right path. I, I was thinking this morning about, you know, train them up in the ways they should should go. And when they are older, they will not depart from it. I think that applies here in educating our kids how to be on the lookout for these things. Wow, this is really unsettling, but really important information. Mm -hmm. oh. So uh, passwords. Sure. They're tricky. <laughs> Any sure. suggestions? Sure. You need, you know, passwords for everything. Uh, and then, of course, you, you get all this information as well, too, that if you look out there, hey, good password practice is to have a different password for everything. Absolutely 100% agree with that. There's no way I have the capability to memorize 40 passwords plus and go on. So, I mean, quite frequently, I, you know, I forget what it is. I use reset password. I get the email, I change it to something, I log in and I'll forget about it. So it seems like every time I use certain things, I'm always forgetting what it is. Um, so there are a couple of things that I can recommend to really strengthen your password practices. Um, one, as, as we just mentioned, password reuse is, is probably the biggest issue that's out there for security perspective. It's where a lot of the breaches happen is I have the same password and I use it for anything. Um, and then all of a sudden you find some weak website out there got cracked. Well, that's got the same password that you use for Amazon, right? So, so now all of a sudden people have access to that or they have access to your bank account because you use the same password there. So using multiple passwords and something unique for each service is good, but it's hard to keep track of. So the first thing I, I would recommend is using a, a password management 
service. Um, I set up my family to use one called LastPass. Uh, this last year, they have a family package that I can purchase. It's very very inexpensive, but it allows me to create unique random passwords for every site that I access. It allows me to share that with my spouse as well, so that if for some reason I ever get hit by a car or I'm unconscious or whatever, she's got access to our, our bank account, anything that she needs. Um, so it creates the random passwords. I don't have a need to memorize it. Um, it has an application that ties into my web browsers on my laptop. It actually has an application for my iPhone as well too, so that whenever I access a new site, it's gonna go in and say, hey, you've already logged into this particular bank site. Do you want us to use your password for this from LastPass? I say yes. It uses my face ID to say, yes, this is Trent, and then it fills it in and logs it in for me. So, and that gives me access to that across all my devices. And the sharing that with the spouse helps for those services that need to be shared as well too. So that helps with the password reuse and keeping things secure. The other one that I would say is probably even a stronger recommendation than that is to enable two-factor authentication or multi-factor authentication. They're, they're effectively the same thing um, wherever you can. So for sure, if you've got these um, with your bank, with your social media accounts, with your email, above all else, protect your email with two-factor authentication because as I was mentioning before, hey, I forgot my password to uh, you know, Amazon, let me hit forgot password is gonna email my personal account. Well, if someone gets access to your personal email account, they're gonna be able to look through your history, see which sites you're using, which banks you're using, and then just go in and do password resets for everything and get access to all of your accounts without having to find out those passwords either. So two-factor or multi-factor authentication. Um, a lot of the, the services that I've used have, have really start to, when you log in, say, hey, you don't have this set up, we highly recommend it. So you know, commendations to them on doing that. But effectively what that is in most cases is you will also go and set up a, a second factor of authentication. So my password's not enough. I want you to also make sure that it's me. So in most cases, what they will do is they will either ask for your cell phone number and they'll send you a text message with like a six digit code to put in, or they may say, do you have an authentication app? And those authenticator apps that you can install for your phone, a lot of times they'll pop up a little barcode on the screen that you just let the camera on your phone scan and then it will generate that six digit code for you. That, that tends to be a little bit more secure than uh, getting an SMS message just because there are ways to crack SMS and it's a little bit harder for them to crack those authenticator apps. But So if you've already got an authenticator app and that's an option, use that. It is more secure. Uh, if you don't, SMS I would say is going to be perfectly fine for most people out there. And, and, and if you have a, a spouse like me who I've set up with an authenticator app and she can't remember what to open, I've just gone fine. We'll set up text message. It'll come to you. Your phone's going to bing whenever, uh, whenever you try to do something and, and it's going to be there and interface. And that's a lot easier for her to use. So two factor above all else is the most important thing because those codes are you know typically six digits long. So there is a million permutations for that. And they're generally only good for about 30 seconds. So you know, hmm. if someone does get your password, they're not going to be able to try a million different iterations within 30 seconds before that passcode expired and it's on to something else. So that's the most important one. Password manager, I would say, is, is the second place. So the one that, that I've used is LastPass. 1Password is also a good, reputable one. And, and that's the other thing I'd say is make sure you're using something reputable. Um, and I will say you probably need to pay a little bit for it. If you're 
Getting something like that for free, you probably need to be asking why is this free? If you select a password solution that has been developed by criminal enterprises, you are actually just giving them everything that you're trying to protect. So spend a little bit of money out there. Uh, I think these are typically like about three bucks a month, maybe four for a family plan where you can invite spouses and children as well too. Okay, well I'm gonna get one of those. I don't have that. That's a good tip. All right, so more a general question. So what's the best way to speed up your computer? Sure. Um, there are going to be some computers that do support hardware upgrades. Apple is not going to be in that book. So if you're using a, a Mac, your way to speed that up for the most part is going to be buy a new one. There, there are a few things that I'll talk about that may help minimally, but if you do have a, 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 a solution that allows you to upgrade hardware, adding memory is a big one. Um, and then also if it has a traditional hard drive, uh, in a lot of cases, if you've got a laptop that's got like a one terabyte or two terabyte drive, it's a traditional spinning hard drive. Uh, the solid state drives um, generally come in smaller sizes, but are significantly faster. Um, and they have pretty much, in most cases, become the standard for most laptops within about the last three to four years. But once again, if you're if you bought something that's in that two to $300 range, it's probably using just old flash memory uh, with very little space, or it may be using a traditional spinning drive and, and then you may have the option to upgrade to solid state. <clears throat> so that's, that's a potential to get more speed out of it. The other thing that you can look at is, um, aside from hardware upgrades, if you've got some applications that you aren't using, haven't used in a while, get rid of those things that may help free up some space and make things a little bit more performant. But additionally, there's going to be software upgrades that you don't need to be using and checking in the background all the time. Or if that software has just never been updated in three years, there may be some vulnerabilities that you're getting rid of. So if you aren't using it, get rid of it. That may help. The, the third point that you can do is if you have all of your data backed up somewhere and you're using a cloud service like Apple's iDrive or you're using Microsoft OneDrive or Google Drive, make sure that all of your data that's important to you is on those services so that they're synced. Um, that helps with if your device is ever lost or stolen, you can get that data back. When you get a new device, you just reconnect those services and all your documents and photos are there. If you have that in place, and, and I'm very much emphasizing if you have that in place and all your critical data backed up, you can wipe your computer, do a factory, essentially reinstall of the operating system and start fresh. You'll get all your documents and data back from those services and load what you need. A lot of times that helps significantly increase the performance of a device. It gets it back to operating like it was on day one. So there are some options out there. Okay. So Mac versus PC. Sure. So, so this is kind of the age old question. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> It's different strokes for different folks, uh, quite honestly. Um, most people don't truly have a hard requirement that says, I have to have a Mac or I have to have a PC. There's very few cases where that is out there. Um, and most of the times that tends to be people that, that do things very specific. Um, a lot of times that tends to be people that are doing things um, ones that come to mind to me are if they're really delving into some sort of creative works like photo editing, sometimes video editing, although there are good solutions on the PC, a lot of times Mac tends to lead the way on that and has for years. I would say there's also as well kind of this stereotype that 10 years ago Mac was the answer for that. So it's still the answer today. 
It's not necessarily true, but there are definitely cases where we've seen that the equivalent software from the same company on a PC is not that great. Uh, some people that do audio mixing are also seeing similar results that, that Mac tends to be a little bit better. Uh, but in general, it's going to be what you like and what you're comfortable with, where you sit with the price point on things. Mac tends to have a little bit more of a price tag on it. Um, so that's definitely a spot to consider. You know, the device that you use may not necessarily be the device you want your children to be using, right? So um, you may have a lot heavier requirements uh, for your needs. And so spending, you know, 1300 or two grand on a laptop may be important for you. But if you've got four children, that may not be great uh, <clears throat> for uh, having multiple children. Uh, out there that may be something that you can't afford to do so you may look at alternative solutions for them such as running some PCs or Chromebooks uh, there's also a lot of educational apps that are out there so depending upon what your needs may be for your children if they if they have certain things that they need to run to run for school and they only run on certain devices try to know that ahead of time and and keep up with them so the other thing that I would add to the Mac versus PC list is you know at, there are Chromebooks out there now as well. We're starting to see some push for that in education. Uh, it may be a decent fit for people at home as well too. Uh, it's, it's one that I had considered as we were looking for a replacement laptop for my spouse this year. Uh, however, one of the things I found for her, and this is where we come to hard requirements, is that she has this nice little silhouette device so that she can print out vinyls and mm -hmm. that does not work on Chrome. It works with Mac or PC. So at that point, I was like, we've got a hard requirement that we can't, can't go this route, but Chromebooks might be a, a good option for your children as well too, if they're really just working out a lot of web pages and if a lot of the educational or other um, applications they need to use are something that works on that device. Okay, so we have quite a few international families at Yorkshire. Mm -hmm. Do you have any specific tips about how you protect your devices while traveling internationally? Sure. Um, so one piece of advice in, in general for traveling internationally, and, and your families that are inter international probably already know this, but uh, power is a little bit different as you go from place to place. And so, you know, it's, it's quite frequent that if you go somewhere, you'll need to get a different power adapter. If you're taking your laptop, most of the power bricks that you've got with your laptops are going to essentially auto sense the voltage and do what it needs to, but you physically have to get it to plug in. Um, so you can buy adapters for that. Most of your power bricks as well also have two power cables coming out, one that plugs into your laptop that's soldered in, and then another one that just unplugs from the brick. Typically, you can buy that one that goes from the brick to the wall for about three to five bucks. So if you know where you're going, you just can buy one that's appropriate for that company and not have to spend $90 on a new power brick. So that's a you know, potentially a quick money-saving option for you out there. The other thing I'd say is, you know, when you're going and you're traveling, and a lot of this applies to domestic travel as well, take only the things that you need. Make sure that you've got backups of your data because you may lose your device. It may get lost, stolen, it may get damaged at the airport. Um, make sure you've got backups in case you lose that device. The other thing you know that goes with that is make sure that you've got full disk encryption enabled on your device so that if it does get lost or stolen, no one's able to get to any of your information. Um, so if you are running Windows, to do that, you just enable BitLocker. And that's already included in the Windows OS. There's no cost for that. For Mac, you need to enable something called File Vault. 
Um, and once again, this will prevent someone from being able to get your information. So you may think that I've got my laptop and it requires my face for me to log in. It requires my PIN. I set up a password. There's no way anyone is getting that data. Um, in order to get the data off of your laptop, all anyone has to do is pull the hard drive out and plug it into another computer and they don't have to authenticate. They have access to all your files and folder structure. They can search for whatever they want. So if you've got tax documents out there, you know, they can find your name, your address, your social security number, or anything that they need out there um, to start developing and creating accounts in your name. So when you enable full disk encryption, if they do try that at uh, approach and pull the, the hard drive out and plug it in somewhere, the disk is going to be encrypted. They're not going to be able to get that data. And this is a reason why I say it's also important that you have backups is with these full disk encryptions. If the drive does at some point get damaged and lose some of the bits, you may, you know, it, it's going to effectively in some cases make that hard drive unusable. Um, so you will want to be able to recover that data. You know, in some cases, you may just need to reinstall Windows and it's, it's happy and good to go, but you need to reinstall and get all your photos and documents back. So that's important. Backups are important for multiple reasons. Um, and if once again, if you're using those synchronization services like Google Drive or Apple iDrive or Microsoft OneDrive, then that's a pretty good spot for all of your stuff to go out there. The other thing I'd say is avoid using Wi-Fi wherever possible. Um, you don't know what the source of that Wi-Fi is. If someone is you know, performing some sort of man-in-the-middle attack where they're reading and capturing every bit of data you're sending back and forth. So try to avoid it where possible. Um, for sure, domestically, um, I try wherever possible to use my phone as a hotspot. Um, <clears throat> And then the other thing that you can do is look at using a privacy VPN. Uh, once again, this is a, a case where you want to make sure that you're getting a reputable one. If you're getting it for free, I would be very cautious about that. Um, a couple of reputable ones that we have, some of our guys are using. One is called ExpressVPN. Another one is called AirVPN. Um, ExpressVPN costs a little bit more. Uh, than AirVPN, but it's a lot easier to use and set up. So if you're looking for ease of use, that's going to be a great one. Um, so going back to the to the child aspect, um, you may want to be cautious about educating your children on using these to start with, particularly if you're trying to use something like NetNanny or Disney Circle. If you turn on something like an ExpressVPN, it's going to encrypt all of their traffic. And so Disney Circle and NetNanny are not going to be able to tell where they're going, what they're trying to access, and all the work you put into content filtering is going to go away. Um, so be aware of that. But those definitely help protect you, particularly if you're going to countries um, that I'd say are, we'll just say, averse to the U.S. in some cases. Um, I, I do know statistics I looked up yesterday um, when I was like, hey, what countries have the most hackers in them? Uh, number one at the top of the list was... China with 41% of hackers worldwide. So if you're going to China, um, you'd probably want to be using a VPN there. Um, China has a lot of stuff they do with internet access that's pretty interesting as well. So I, you know, if possible, I would avoid using internet at all while I'm there. Take photos, wait till you get back, and then show people your trip as opposed to trying to live feed some of that stuff to everyone. Um, but definitely, if you're going there, use a VPN. I would say 
make sure that you have it loaded and installed and tested before you leave the country because you may not be able to download that software once you get there. So other countries to be aware of, I mean, just, you know, we were just talking as we were stepping into the office this morning about things he heating up in the Middle East. Um, those would be countries that I would be concerned with as well, too. Ukraine is another one. Um, and so be aware if you're out there, there's some places that are just not reputable that there's a lot of concerns with. Um, so use a VPN, avoid Wi-Fi use as much as possible. If you've got your own phone that you can hotspot, connect to that. You may pay for some overages or you may just be really strict with what you use it for. Um, whenever I travel, I try to download tons of movies ahead of time. That way I don't have to chew up lots of bandwidth on my hotspot. Email's not gonna take a lot, nor is working in sort of any documents for work. It's generally, hey, you just downloaded two gigs of Netflix that's gonna end up blowing up your cell phone bill. Okay, well, wow, this is really, really extremely informative and important. Thank you so much, Trent. Thanks, Michelle. For more information regarding Yorkshire Academy, just uh, go to www.yorkshireacademy.com. Thanks for listening to Yorkshire Insight, and we'll see you next time.